Amen. You can be seated. It's great to be together with you this morning to sing those songs of celebration, to realize that we're not in this alone, uh, but Christ is in us, Christ is with us, and you know that he's for you as well. He's for you today. We're continuing on in our series in Exodus as we talk about faithful. And uh, often when we talk about faithful, people think, oh yeah, I'm, I need to be more faithful. And this is actually not about you being faithful. It's really about God's faithfulness to us. And so if you have your Bibles or your, your phone, turn to Exodus chapter 2. We're going to read it in just a little bit. Exodus chapter 2, 11 to 25. And I don't know if you've, uh, I'm trying to put it in the email. How many of you get the email that comes from the Attridge site? How many of you would like to get the email? Go on our website, get the email. Because uh, <clears throat> what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to tie in with the email on Thursday, uh, what we're going to be doing here this morning. And so I'll often give you the text. And in the, the text, if you can read it ahead of time, sometimes it, God will just enlighten your eyes and you'll be able to see more clearly what it is that he wants to say to all of us today. So we're continuing with our series. We're doing this study in the book of Exodus on God's faithfulness to his people and how God continues to be faithful to us, his people today. Over the past two weeks, we've seen God is faithful in keeping his promises, that he's faithful to his people by being a rescuer. Today, we're looking at a section of Exodus that shows God is one who is just. God is just. I love my kids. I loved it when they were little. I mean, I love them now. They're like in their 30s. But I, and I love them just as much, or probably even more. It's just different. But when they're, they're little, we had, you know, we had two girls, and then five years later, we had our son. And our girls would often come to us when they were like 10 and 11 and say, we were never allowed to do that. Why is David allowed to do that? And I was like, what's the problem? Well, when you were mean to us, you weren't fair to us. And I just love that kids have the, a unique sense of justice. Do you ever, if you have kids, uh, teenagers even, teenagers are awesome. Young adults are great about this. Like they see injustice and they want to stand up and they want to shout and scream and make a difference. And we want to talk about injustice today. Uh, if you got my email, you'll notice that I men mentioned something that we don't talk about in Canada. Martin Luther King Jr. Day. You might say, well... Pastor Reg, why did you talk about that? Like, that's American. And I talked about it because it was, I was at one of those events when I happened to be doing a course down in Fresno, California. And it was very meaningful to me to go to that and to hear some of the things that were said. So each, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., in case you don't know, was a minister. He was an activist and a prominent leader in the civil rights movement. And he's remembered for advancing civil rights through, this is important, nonviolence. Nonviolence. So each year on the third Monday of January, the U.S. observes Martin Luther King Jr. Day and they reflect on the work that he's done for racial inequality. Uh, one of the articles that I read said, let's make sure that we, we, we make it a day, not just to take a day off, but to take time to reflect and to take action on civil rights issues across the globe. It's not just in the U.S. 
It's around the world. It's here with us. Uh, they say of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. that he spoke wisely about equality, kindness, courage, change, forgiveness, and more. And his beliefs, understandably, still resonate with so many. This, uh, on the 17th, which is the day it was celebrated this year, uh, Eugene Cho said this on Twitter. He said, don't reduce MLK, Martin Luther King Jr. Day, to an annual quote on social media. It's interesting because he's tweeting about it, but hey. But he's saying, don't just, don't just tweet, do more. He says, live out the dream, seek first the kingdom of God, confront evil, be a truth teller, seek justice, advocate for the poor, pursue reconciliation, love your neighbors, forgive your enemies, live a committed life of peace, love, and justice. What a great calling for us. And as we look at this text today, we're going to see all of these things unpacked in this text for us. As Moses actually takes some actions that are like crazy, and God takes some actions that are like, this is the way, this is the way that we're going to work toward justice. So I'm making a biblical proclamation today. As we look at the following text, let's keep in mind God's understanding of justice. So, Exodus chapter 2 Let's read 11 to 25. It's a longer text, but I, I, I hope you don't ever feel bad about reading a longer text, because I think sometimes we tend to read too short and we miss the context. So, verse 11. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and filled the troughs uh, to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. When the girls returned to Ruel, their father, he asked them, why have you returned so early today? They answered, an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. And where is he? Ruel asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him to, to have something to eat. Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Join with me as we pray. Our Father and God, we thank you for this text that we find in your word. We thank you that this text is living and active today. And we invite you today to speak to our minds and our hearts to receive the word that you have for each person who's sitting in this room, who's watching this online, whether it's today or into the future. 
Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes, that you would guide us through the power of your Holy Spirit, for we pray this in your name and for your glory. Amen. You'll notice at the beginning of this text, so we ended, you know, with Moses being taken as a child, as a baby, he was taken to Pharaoh's house, was raised in Pharaoh's house, and now we sort of have this next step. And, and it's believed that Moses at this age was probably about 40. So if you're 40, he's making a major transition. There's shifts in his life. And so at 40, he goes out, and you'll notice one of the interesting things, that from probably 5 till 40, he was... He would have been taught and raised as an Egyptian. He would have looked like an Egyptian prince. Uh, so he would have been dressed in the right clothes and he would have had the right haircut, whatever that is. I mean, if you've watched some of the movies, you sign to go, really, is that what they actually look like? Uh, don't know. But he would have looked like an Egyptian prince. So he's out and he goes, and now he's starting to travel the country and he's looking around and seeing what he's seeing. But I want you to notice in this particular text, it starts with where his own people were Moses all even though he was the you know the prince of Egypt even though he was that whatever that meant part of Pharaoh's household he began to identify with his own people and we we see that that he begins to connect with them he takes an interest in them and he it doesn't seem like he's done it up to this point he sees that they are hard-pressed, that there's this forced labor. He sees the injustice that's taking place, and he has a compassionate response. And yet, I would suggest to you that some of his responses maybe were a little missing a few things. We're going to talk about those. So we're going to see in this text three acts of injustice or conflict and three responses that Moses gives. And as we go through this, I want you to think about in your own life where you may have been treated unjustly, where you may have lived with conflict, or where you have treated others with injustice in your life as well. So hold, hold those things. So we're going to look at three responses to injustice or conflict, and they are these, and then I'll unpack them. And you'll see them in Moses and others. But when you think about conflict, probably if I were to ask you this morning, how many of you really like conflict? There would be a few. They're like, yeah, let's get into it. And most of you are probably going, yeah, I'll take a pass. So if I were to ask you this morning, there's these three responses to conflict. So they're going to come up on the screen. They are fight, and I've added one, freeze, or flight. Now you may have, you may have seen this, you may have heard you know, the first two fight or flight. So some people, conflict comes and they just want to run away. They just want to like, I don't do conflict, I get out of it, I leave. I've added the, the middle one because sometimes we just do nothing. We just, just, you know, it's like I'm in the middle of this, I have no idea what to do, I am just going to do nothing. So that's why I've added free. So let's take a look at, at how these three unpack with Moses, but I want you to think about your own life and go, how do I respond to conflict? How do I respond to injustice? Does it look like any of those three? So verses 11 and 12 talk about Moses seeing an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave. Now, if you're a slave, you are seen as property. And I don't know about you, but if I have a car and it's my property... I can do what I want with it. So if I want to get on the highway and do 160, I can. I might also have to pay some fines. 
There may be, you know, problems with that, but it's a piece of property. I can, I can do what I want with it, or if I own something, I can choose to sell it. Well, it, we need to think about it in that same way. This Egyptian had a slave who was a Hebrew. It, he, this Hebrew slave was property. He could do what he wanted. So for him to beat a slave, was it an unjust? Problem? Yes, I would say absolutely. But because he was property, it was, this is accepted. Moses, however, sees it as a crime, as injustice, and so he steps in and he, makes a, he's, he does something. You notice, he thinks he's being pretty careful. Now, there's two people in this picture plus him. There's three. Uh, he kills one of them. You don't think there's a witness? The, the Hebrew is going to go, hey, by the way, this prince of Egypt showed up this other day while my boss was beating the tar out of me. And he went berserk. And he killed my boss. And he buried him. Yeah, it kind of got around. So he buries him. I see this as, as Moses having a violent intervention. He responds out of anger. Uh, Walter Kaiser puts it this way. He says, it was Moses, his impulsiveness that was wrong. Not his sense of justice, nor his defense of the downtrodden. So that wasn't what was wrong, is how he responded to it. Uh, you'll know that Moses was the one that God gave the Ten Commandments to. And one of the Ten Commandments is, thou shalt not, come on, murder, yeah. And I'm thinking, I bet when Moses is chiseling this into the rock, what's he there? It's like, oh yeah, man, I've been there. I'm one of those. Yeah, I've been there. All right, let's look at the second. The second response from injustice is found in verses 13 and 14, where the, I would say he freezes, right? So he's, next day, he's there, he's the prince of Egypt. My guess is he's still probably dressed like the prince of Egypt, stands out in a crowd, and there's two Hebrews, and they're, they're duking it out. Right? So they're equals now, and they're, they're just they're beating one another. And he grabs one of them, the one he has decided is in the wrong. I don't know, we don't get a lot of information here, but he says, says you're in the wrong. Pulls him off and says, you know, stop it, don't do this. You're, you know, you guys are brothers, get along. And the response is, who made you ruler and judge over us? Now Moses would say, Pharaoh, <laughs> me, and yet it wasn't his time. It wasn't God who made him ruler and judge. He was putting that on himself. So Moses had all the power in this relationship. It was a powerful intervention. He was seen as an Egyptian. He may have even been in line for the throne, and yet as he steps into this situation, he is still seen to have all the power. He tries to do this negotiation. It doesn't work. And so he, they speak to him in verse 15 and say by the way we all know about this that you killed the Egyptian and he knows that his time is up he needs to do something else so he does he does the, the third thing so this would have been what I would call freeze this one and now the next one is he runs away he runs away from the conflict so in both these incidents we know that this is not the way that God was going to rescue his people or address the injustices taking place you see violence begets more violence when God steps in, as we will see, he begins to work miracles. So Moses has been found out. He runs away to Midian, to a desert, to a different place, to a barren land. It's very different 
than Egypt. And we see here another response to conflict. You just see this, just God is, you know, as, as Moses is remembering these things, I think he's going, wow, God, you really walked me through a lot of conflict in this short period of time. So he sees these lovely ladies drawing water. They want to draw water for the flocks of sheep. And some men come along and say, no, no, it's our turn. You're not allowed, even though you were here first. No. So Moses sees the injustice and he sends the men packing. Doesn't tell us how he does it. He doesn't kill anybody. It doesn't look like he intervenes in the sense of pulling two people apart. But for some reason, he's maybe still dressed like the prince of Egypt. And he looks the part. And they, he, he basically gets rid of these men so that he can draw water. And so he deals with this injustice that he sees. I would classify this as just a simple physical intervention. He steps into the place of conflict and he helps out the party. That's the underdog. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a chance to do that. It can be terrifying. I, uh, I had a situation once where we, um, we, we were, we, I was driving down the road and I saw a police officer had stopped and was trying to deal with somebody on the street. I didn't, I didn't see a lot of what was going on, but what I did begin to see is the police officer was beginning to take a beating. So I stopped and another person stopped and we intervened just to stop the, the beating of the police officer. Now, did that scare me? Uh-huh, because I didn't know if this person was armed with a knife or a gun or whatever. But at the same time, I was willing to take the risk to stop something that I saw as an injustice. I would suggest to you this morning, as we look, continue to look at this text, that there is this balance when we talk about injustice. There's this balance of power and mercy. Those two things need to be held together. We'll look at that, actually, as we look at the New Testament. And uh, Jesus, just at the end, will wrap it up with that. This balance of power and mercy. So now in verses 18 to 20, we, we get a, a different picture. Uh, and I'm including this, this section because it's really important. Because as Moses has stepped into this last conflict, this last intervention, all of a sudden he receives a blessing. He receives a blessing for the kindness. Now, that doesn't always happen, but in this particular situation, that is what we see. He, he gets, actually, a new family. So you may ask yourself, who are the Midianites? They are actually descendants of Abraham through his wife, Keturah. So in Genesis 25, 1 and 2, it says Abraham had taken another wife whose name was Keturah, and she bore him, I'm not going to read them all, but one of them was Midian. And out of Midian came all of these Midianites. So it's part of his history, his family history, are these Midianites. You notice, do you notice that there, do you ever notice that scripture has some humor in it? Like, like God, you know, I, this is written, and there's some humor here, right? So Ruel's daughters come home, and he's like, you're early. What happened? And they say, oh, you know, well, this guy helped us out. You, and what does he say? Like, okay, and... Where's the hospitality? Did you bring him home? And maybe he's thinking, oh, these women are driving me crazy because that's all he has is daughters. He has no sons. And he's thinking, maybe, maybe Moses would be my, could be a son-in-law. I don't even know what he's thinking. We know that's what happens, but I don't know what he's thinking in the moment. And so he says, bring him, bring him home. 
bring them home. And then, and then this whole thing sounds like a complete setup, doesn't it? Like you read it, you read the text and you just go like, huh? So he comes home, he has a meal. Oh, by the way, here's a wife. Oh, by the way, here's a kid. You know, I'm sure it didn't happen that fast, okay, folks? Right? I'm sure he served and got to, but who knows? It, it, but it's the way the text is written. It's just sort of like this thing just unravels itself. Wouldn't it be nice, you know, if somebody's looking for a husband or a wife? It's like, yeah, just go visit these people and boom, it's going to happen. It's like, yeah, that's not the way it happens. So there's the blessing is that there's this growing family. He marries Zipporah. He has this son. And his son's name is really important. It's mentioned to us, Gershom speaking about Moses being in exile from his people. He's not talking about being an Egyptian now. He's talking about being in exile from the Hebrews, from the Israelites. Moses shows his loneliness for his people. So there's this, there still has this attachment. So as much as he loves his wife, he loves the Midianites, these new people that he's now part of their family, he's also saying, Where, I, I'm thinking about my own people. As we look at these texts, God is now sending Moses away for, for more preparation. And this is going to unravel very quickly. But he's going to spend 40 years in Egypt in training. And now he's going to spend 40 years in the desert in training. He was not ready to do God's work based on his response to injustice. And so he spends these 80 years of preparation for his calling to come to pass. And now we see a transition. Okay, in verses 23 to, to 25, it's, it's like he, we're talking about Moses, and all of a sudden we shift the view back toward what's happening in Egypt. And so during this, it says, during the long period, the king dies, the Israelites are groaning in their slavery. And what I want to show you this morning as we close is this wrap-up of what does God see as we look at this text. So God responds to injustice in verses 23 to 25 there's four verbs here that i want you to notice about god's response the first one is god hears god hears so i said to you early on god is for you god is listening all of those things god hears so god is listening and he hears their groaning now some of it is they turn toward god and begin to Ask him, groan, want, you know, complain, say, God, where are you? Do you ever say, oh, ask yourself, God, where are you when you're going through life? Something's happening and you're like, God, where are you? Are you here? I want you to know this morning that God is always present. God is always present. Now, does God always intervene? No, we're getting ahead of ourselves. But he, he hears. He's listening. When they're finally ready, they begin to turn to him and ask him for help. I think that's important for us to know. God often waits for us to turn to him to say, I need help. And so often, if you're like me, I, just, I think I can do this on my own. I'll just keep doing it until I can't anymore. And then when I can't, when it's really bad, when I've messed it up, that's when I say, okay, God, now would you please help me? I would encourage us, I encourage myself, turn to God sooner. Turn to him sooner. He's listening. He's waiting 
for you and I to turn to him and actually tell him what's going on inside our hearts and our minds and our situation. He's waiting for us. He hears. Second thing I want you to notice in this text, it talks about God remembers. It says, he remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I want to point you back to, I know we're, we're running out of time, but in Genesis chapter 17 and verse 7, it says, uh, to, he's talking to Abraham. He says, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. So there's this memory. God is remembering what he said. He doesn't forget. Then with, so we're going to miss Isaac, so you can look at Genesis 17 if you want. And then Jacob is Genesis 35, 11, and 12, where God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will be among your descendants. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I also give to you. I will give you this land to your descendants after you. He's not talking about Egypt. He's talking about Canaan, which is not where they are. They're in Egypt. So God remembers what he has promised to this community, to these individuals and now this community. He remembers. So I, I want to remind us that God remembers the promises that he's given to you and me. When you read scripture, read the promises of God. What are the promises given to us? Reading through the Psalms can be enlightening. Where we see the promises of God say, God, is that promise for me? Yeah, it is. So, he remembers. Thirdly, God sees. He looks at the Israelites. He looked on the Israelites. He had never taken his eyes off of them. But this shows that God is paying attention to the injustice that's taking place. God is seeing. He sees things. So if you ever wonder if God doesn't see, he does. Everything that you and I do and say, whether we, it's in secret, and actually it's not. God knows. God knows. He sees everything. And the last thing we, I want you to notice in this text is that God cares God cares. He looked on them and was concerned. It's really the word compassion. He cares, concerned for them. God always had a plan. It just wasn't happening maybe as fast as they would have liked. Is that like us? Do we have a plan? Often we'll have our plan. This is my plan. This is what I expect should happen. And when it's not happening, we can get frustrated. Do we stop long enough to say, God, what's your plan? What's your timing? And out of this, we'll see through the rest of Exodus, we are going to see God acting. So I'm, I can't, I'm not going to get into that because we're going there, but I want to just give you a heads up like we're going to go there yet. God doesn't just sit back and go, I care, I remember, I see. It's like, I will act. In his timing. And sometimes we think God's timing is off. But his timing is perfect as we see. I also want you to notice, I'm going to tie this now to the New Testament. But some of the songs that we sang this morning really point to this. Where God acted in his time to send his son Jesus to this earth. 
Because you see, all of us, as Paul writes in Romans, are dead in our transgressions and sins. We're dead. God in his justice cannot have sin in his presence. And then you say, well, but maybe God's unfair. We need to talk about who God is. But God in his justice says, no, I, have to, I can't just ignore this. I just can't pretend. Make it go, you know, hope it goes away. Or, oh, I'll just be a nice guy. But no, actually, I, this is wrong, and I need to punish what's wrong. Now, what's beautiful about the story, what's beautiful about what takes place, is God says, and I am going to be the one who's going to pay the price. So we're the ones who deserve it. We're the ones who are, have walked away from God. We're the ones who have ignored his plans. And God says, no, I am actually going to pay for that sin. And he sends Jesus. That's why earlier I said power and mercy. You see, God's justice is balanced by God's mercy. If it was only justice, then we would be truly dead. We would get what we deserve from God. But it isn't just justice. It's justice and mercy. Jesus paid for our sin on the cross, taking our sin so that we could receive God's mercy. Amen? That's powerful. That's what we live out of every day. That's how I get up in the morning. I don't get up in the morning thinking I'm a screw-up. I get up in the morning knowing I'm a screw-up. And that God has redeemed me. And I live out of the power that God gives me because of his redemption and his grace and mercy in my life. And that can be the same for you. I'm going to call on the worship team to come. I want you to think this morning, and maybe in, I always want to start where you are. And I, you know, the, I don't know if you're online, uh, you're sitting here this morning, you're going to watch this later. But I want you to think about is there, you know, potentially there's been things that have been done to you that would be unfair, unjust, that you're carrying, that you're holding on to. And as we look around, the bigger picture is that there's a lot of injustice in our world. There's a lot of brokenness in our world. And we need to understand that God cares. God sees. So in your own personal life, how do you respond to injustice or to conflict? Well, sometimes we need to, we actually need to ask God to redeem some of our responses. I think Moses did, you know, like the fight frees flight. Um, so Moses decided he's going to be a fighter. And he kills somebody. Like, okay, that's probably not a great response. And sometimes fighting is not a great response. Sometimes it is if it's done. You know, like you, if you look at this story of Moses, how his life changes, right? Like ultra conflict. A little less, a little less. He's learning. All of us can learn. 
Do you freeze or do you run away? Running away from conflict doesn't always help. You say, well, but I feel a lot better, but it doesn't go away. So God also wants to give us the courage to face things in our lives. How do you respond to those things in conflict? How do you embrace God's response to injustice for you, for others? How do you embrace that? How do you say, let, look at those four things. So this week, this is my challenge to you. I mean, go to look at the sermon questions, go on the website. But if you're here, if you're listening, if you're watching, go to these things. There's four things. Hear, remember, see, care. Those are the ways that God responds. How do you respond to injustice that you see? There's lots of us things that we can respond to. I'm going to close with this, uh, this psalm. And I want to encourage you, if you think, you know, injustice, well, that's only one thing. You know, as the kingdom of God comes, injustice is broken down. When the kingdom of God is coming, injustice is being addressed. Psalm 68, it says, a father, this is God, he's a father to the fatherless. A defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. He sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing. Jesus' work on this earth, as Kevin pointed right at the beginning of the service, where Jesus quotes Isaiah 61. This is what I'm called to do. Called to bring God's justice and mercy to this world. Join with me as we pray together. Father, as we pray, as we open ourselves to you, Lord, I, as with all these people who are watching online or who are, who are sitting in this space, Father, we come to you as with those who need you. We need you, Jesus. And I pray that, that as we sit in this space that we would know who you are, that we would experience you, that we would see that you are a just God who gives us mercy. Lord, help us to be those who live like you, who, are, who see injustice and want to do something, but also we live out of your mercy and grace. May we offer that to each other as well. As we close today, I, I want to just invite you to do something really practical. So if you're sitting there this morning and there's something that God's just touching your heart and saying, here's something that, that you need to give me. You need to pray to me. You need to talk to me about would you just do something? This is really simple, and I'm not going to ask anybody to do anything crazy. Thank, you can thank me later. Um, but I'm just going to say this. Can you just open your hands and put it on your lap? And as we start to sing, so we're not going to stand to start with, okay? We're going to stay seated for a bit for the first song. And just hold your hands open in your lap, and as you do, that's a sign of you releasing whatever it is that you want to release to God. And just give it to him. Just say, God, I give you this. And just sit with that open posture before God. And just give it to him as we sing this next song. And, and again, I agree. We want to, if there's something you need prayer for this morning, we want to pray for you. We want to care for you this morning. So let's, let's worship together, but let's also respond to God in the way that he's speaking to you this morning.